Jesus said, and you have to say it with the right inflection. You can't just say, Jesus said what? It's Jesus said what? There's many times in the scripture we come across a particular scripture and you go, that is weird. Jesus, what do you want us to do? And naturally, as a response, we come along with the response of, well, do you know what? That was difficult. Maybe it's an impronounceable word. And we go, I'll just skip that and go on to something easier or something that's less confrontational. And what we find in Mark chapter number 10 is another one of those opportunities where we go, Jesus, what are you actually saying here? What do you really want us to do? And how do we respond correctly? Whenever we study the Bible, it's important not just to, to, to read one passage and take that. We look at the context of the whole passage. We look at other supporting verses. And we look at the theme of the Scripture as a whole before we come to conclusions. And that's what we're going to do this morning. And we're only going to scratch the surface of this passage. We look at passages in the Bible like Mark chapter number 10, verse number 21, where Jesus says, Sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. That's our passage this morning in Mark chapter number 10, verse number 21. Sell all you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And as you look at that verse, you think, of Jesus said, what? I, that's not the way that I thought we get to heaven. I have to buy my way into heaven. And if you take that way out of context, you'll end up with a very, very bad theology and you also come up with a very very expensive salvation because you will never in a million lifetimes be able to afford your gift of salvation so therefore what is jesus talking about here and our principle for today is this and every sunday we have a principle that we seek to apply to our life and it is jesus makes possible the humanly impossible and oftentimes in our lives, we confront, are confronted with situations where we rightly say, that is impossible. There's no way this is ever going to work. And many times it comes down to, God, if you don't show up right now, I don't know what we're going to do. And time and time again, God comes and shows up in the miraculous ways and makes the humanly impossible possible and this morning we're going to look at a passage where jesus is talking to a man that is coming with some issues in his life and jesus looks beyond the surface level and goes into the heart of the issue so this morning what we're going to do is we're going to read this passage and then i'm going to briefly explain some of the context for you and then we're going to go back and spend the majority of our time together applying it to our lives and saying what does this actually look like in our lives so let's begin by reading mark chapter number 10 verses 17 through 22 begins with this and as Jesus was setting out on his journey. A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. 
my children in the room. We'll say that again. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, this is this young man says to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. This account is recorded in three different Gospels. The Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this account. So it's something that's very important, and it's also something that we can learn from. Each of the accounts gives a little more information, and we put them all together. We see that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he's all three of those passages, he's described as being rich. So when you see and imagine this young man, you imagine him as rich. Matthew describes him as young. And then Luke describes him as a ruler. So you put all those together, he really has it all. I mean, who wouldn't want to be described as rich, young, and you're powerful, you are a ruler. And so when this man walks into the situation and he comes before Jesus and bows down on his knees, I think many of the people would have looked at that and going, what's going on here? This guy is rich. He's young. He's a ruler. And look at him bowing down before Jesus, pleading with him. And to the outward look, that's really impressive. Wow. Jesus is associating with the, and sorry, the cool crowd. And he's associating with these people. that. And you think about how the outward people are looking at it and thinking, wow, Jesus would be lucky to have this guy as a, one of his followers. And have you ever thought, and this is not a really good spiritual thing, but we all kind of think, we see people that are incredibly talented, and we say, that person would make a great Christian. That person, with all their gifts and all their abilities, all their eloquence, all their wealth, imagine if they were Christians and what God could, God, they could do for God. And that's not what Jesus is impressed with. And Jesus looks beyond the surface level as this man stand, kneels before him and asks him a question. And in many ways, the way Jesus responds, I think this rich young ruler was anticipating Jesus to be impressed by him and said, you can do nothing. Come in. Welcome. I've been waiting all my life to meet a band like you. And in reality, Jesus looks beyond the surface level and beyond the natural impress. And he sees the heart of the issue. And he begins to ask this young man, why do you call me good? And we're going to talk about that in, in a moment. But he this man asked the question, and it's the wrong question. He asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The wrong question of this young man was, what do I need to do for you? As if God, God needs us as if, as if God needs your wealth or God needs your intellect or God needs you to do something for him. And then finally, we can earn our way to salvation. Jesus looks at him in verse number 21. The scripture describes him as saying Jesus loved him. 
So Jesus didn't look at this man and look at him and go, you know what, get out of my way. He, Jesus was on a journey. He was walking along on his way towards Jerusalem, and he's interrupted by this rich young ruler. And the natural way when you're interrupted, we kind of get annoyed and we go, get out of my way. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't say, you're bothering me right now. Move. He looked at him and he says, I love you. And you can imagine the pleading in Jesus' voice here. This is not the voice of an annoyed, you know, an annoyed person. This is the voice of a man that says, I want you to follow me. But there's some issues in your life that you're going to have to get over before you're ready to hear me. When Jesus saw this man and walked, saw this man walk away, he began to teach his disciples, and the disciples needed to hear this lesson as well. Because the way that the disciples respond... They were thinking, Jesus, we kind of need him. He's rich, he's young, he's a ruler. We need him on our side. And why are you allowing this guy to walk away? And we continue reading in verses 23 through 27. And we see Jesus begin to teach his disciples. And it says, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed at his words because in the Jewish culture at this time, if you had wealth, you were successful, you were seen as a powerful and a ruler, you were seen as someone who left stature. And Jesus says, this is difficult for you to enter the kingdom. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. So he uses a really extreme story than the rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus responds with this statement. And here's the statement of today. With man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible with God. You see, salvation is not by what you do. The wrong question to ask is, God, what do I need to do to have your salvation? What do I need to do to make you happy with me or accepting of me? And what we find in the scripture here is Jesus looks beyond that and he says, I've already done it. So to put that in a sentence, salvation is not what we do. It is what Christ has already done. Do you know how much pressure that takes off of you and I to be good enough? or smart enough, or rich enough, or kind enough all the time, or seemingly perfect or impressive to the outside world. It takes the pressure off of us in every aspect. And as we delve into today with, the, with our application, we're just going to scratch the surface because of time this morning. But I would encourage you to spend some time mulling this concept over because so many areas of our natural life begin with, I do. And we subconsciously or consciously have taught ourselves that we need to do things in order to, to follow Christ. And Christ comes along and breaks that down and says, it's already been done. Follow me. So we need to ask the right question. So I have three questions this morning. And how do you view Christ? How do you view sin and how do you view salvation? And if we ask the wrong questions as we go along here, you will naturally end up in the wrong destination. 
Let's begin with how do you view Christ? It says there, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus ignores the question and focuses on a particular word and says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, be honest with you, as a cursory reading of that, Jesus, you're kind of rude. That's not the way that you talk to someone who's just coming and knelt before you. But Jesus is going beyond the surface and the hype and the impress. And he goes into the heart of what this man is actually saying. Jesus just called him good teacher. And you may think to yourself, well, yeah, good. I want to be great. But in this time period, the word good in that context and being good teacher was reserved for God and God alone. So Jesus is asking this man, what are you really calling me? Did you just call me God? Because if you did call me God, that means you better listen to me. And so often the name Jesus in my life and your life, we naturally, we get used to the things of God. And over the course of time, the big scary things become less scary. And some of you have, have gone through some really scary situations. I think of migrating. And many of you have migrated from another country or you have loved ones that have migrated before you. And it's scary. And the first time in the, you see things, everything is brand new. And you walk into a situation and you know nobody. And maybe for some of you, that's freedom finally. But the other side of it is you recognize everywhere you go is brand new. And you don't know where you're going. And you don't know who to talk to. And you don't know what to do. But you know, over the course of time, you get used to it. Congratulations if this is your first time at Southwest Baptist Church. The scariest time is now over. <laughs> it's the second time is much easier. And the third and fourth and fiftieth time, it becomes much easier to walk in the door because you're welcomed. But the first time you do anything is scary. And Jesus here is saying, when you get used to things, it becomes the normal. You say, Jesus this and Jesus that, but we fail to recognize we're talking about God, the creator of the universe. And if Jesus really is God, which I believe with all my heart he is, but if Jesus really is God, that demands a response of saying, God, what do you want us to do? How do you want me to view you? How do you want me to respond correctly? And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, I can see you're rich. I can see you're young. I can see you're important and you're a ruler. But why did you call me God? Because if I'm God, that means you better listen to me. And that passage goes on. And it talks about the fact of, of uh, that, that Jesus begins to, it says there, he loved him and he cares for him. And Jesus wants him to respond correctly. But we live in a very dark world. The book of 2 Corinthians, chapter number 4, verse number 4. It talks about, it, it says, the God of this world. Notice the God is a, is a small g. That's not a big g. That's not talking about God, Jehovah God. That's talking about Satan. The Satan is described as the God of this present world. And it says the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. If we, if Jesus, 
is God. And we begin to list off all the attributes and all the wonderful things of God. He's our creator. He's our sustainer. He's with us. He hears our prayers. He molds us and shapes us and guides us. He knows everything about you, your best attribute and your also your worst. And he still chooses to know you and to love you. In fact, I find it remarkable that he even created us, knowing that what we were going to do as mankind. It demands a response of saying, God, what do you want me to do? You are God. I'm here listening to you. The passage continues on. And we see how we view sin. How do we respond to the word sin. And uh, naturally, if you ask a child, what is sin? The natural response from a child is typically disobeying your parents because we've taught them and taught them and taught them. Sin is disobeying your parents. Or maybe you get a little older. It's the bad things that we do. And that's not an incorrect definition, but it's an incomplete definition. A definition of sin really comes down to rebellion against God rebellion against the things that God has called us to do it's not just an outward action it's also an inward attitude that exalts ourselves as mankind and puts it above God and what we see in this passage is it says Jesus responds with, you know the commandments. In other words, you know what the law says. And this rich young ruler, he absolutely knew the law. In fact, outwardly, he kept the law really, really well. And Jesus says, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And those would have rolled off this young man's tongue and gone, yep, tick, 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 tick. I've done all those. And he says to him, teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. In other words, I have a clean public track record. We often think of it like scales, where scales, our good has to outweigh our bad. And nowhere in the Bible do we find scales where our good just has to slightly outweigh our bad in order to earn our salvation. In fact, nowhere in the Christian faith at all. In fact, if you study Islam, Islam your good has to outweigh your bad in order to get to their version of, of, of heaven. But in Christianity, we don't find that at all, thank God. Because if it came down to scales, we are in big trouble. Because Jesus lists off a number of, of commandments. And anytime we see Jesus teaching on the commandments, he always raises the bar above anything you and I would naturally do. Because we naturally, as humans, we think of a person and say, I can think of the worst person I've ever thought of in my life, and I'll compare myself to them. And compared to them, I'm pretty good. And, as, and you could be, and forgive me, I'm not looking at anyone in particular, you could be the worst person in this room, and you would still find someone else, you know what, I'm not as bad as that guy. And that's our children do exactly the same thing. Anytime we catch our children doing wrong, what do they do? But dad, and they point at their sibling. And we naturally look at somebody else and we blame someone else. Jesus raises the bar. We talk about murder. And Jesus says, do not murder. Now, I'm an anticipating, I may be wrong here. Quietly tell me afterwards if it's the case. I'm assuming no one here is a murderer. At least you haven't been caught and convicted. And Jesus says, 
good. We've never murdered anyone. Aren't we good? Let's compare ourselves to murderers. And Jesus raises the bar. In Matthew chapter number 5, he's teaching, and he's teaching some revolutionary teaching. And he says, you have heard that it is said of old. This is Matthew 5, verse 21. You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. This needs to be on the screen. And it goes in verse 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Ouch. Jesus raises the bar. And you go, well, okay, well, I've, I may be a murderer at heart here because I've, I've hated somebody. And brother doesn't just mean your physical brother. If you only have sisters, you're like, yes, I'm safe. No, that doesn't inc- include sisters too. And Jesus raises the bar. We talk about adultery. And we go, phew, I've never committed adultery. (laughs) I may be a murderer at heart, but I'm not an adulterer. And Jesus raises the bar in that passage in verses 27 and 28. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And we go, yes, that's right. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And you go, oh, ouch. And sorry, ladies, I believe that refers back to the other way, too, if you're looking at men. So the question is, how good is good enough? James chapter 2, verse 10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law and fails in one point becomes guilty of all of it. And we look at that and go, then how could we possibly ever know? How could we ever do enough? It's important to understand that how we look at sin is really really important first of all how do you view christ if christ if jesus christ really is god then we need to listen to him and do what he says to do secondly the way we view our sin points us to a need for a savior none of us reading those passages look at that and go oh do you know what if i've committed one sin i'm guilty of it all ouch and that passage doesn't finish there and go the end you're guilty Goodbye. Thank God it allows us to continue moving forward and allows us to know a Savior as a result. That rich young ruler, it says in Matthew, Mark chapter number 10, verse 22, left disheartened by the saying. And he was sorrowful because he had great possessions. Jesus looked beyond the immediate and looked into his heart. He, he called this young man to sell all of his stuff. Because Jesus saw beyond the outward, and it says this guy has a self-righteousness problem. He has a problem where he's hoarding wealth. The Bible calls that covet, to covet something. And that's one of the commandments. And you read through the Ten Commandments, you'll see thou shalt not covet. It's the Tenth Commandment. And Jesus was addressing this young man's guilt and putting it towards him and saying, you are guilty even though you say you're innocent. And we have a choice as humans when we're confronted with who is Christ and we're confronted with our sin. We have a choice of how we respond. There's an old story and in a moment time. We're going to see a video about how to catch a monkey And it illustrates our desire to hang on to things when we really should let them go. If we want to be safe, we need to let go of our sin and hang on to Jesus Christ. So what you can do is you can take a coconut, you can drill a hole into the coconut, 
And you can pour some sweet, sticky rice into the coconut. So the monkey comes along, and the monkey puts his hand into the coconut and grabs the sticky rice. So the monkey is trapped, and the hunter comes and collects the monkey. But the monkey is not trapped, because you've made the hole so small that the palm can go in, but the fist, once he's grabbed the rice, cannot get out. The monkey could have chosen to let go of that sticky rice and to walk away. So the monkey had chosen to be trapped. So the question for myself when I first heard this analogy is what is your sticky rice? What's your sticky rice, as it were? What are you hanging on to? Jesus says, sell all you have and give it to the poor. You have treasure in heaven. And you're hanging on to that and saying, I'm going to hang on to, to this. And therefore, I'm no longer going to come to Christ and saying, Christ, what have you done? He's going to come along and say, what can I do to earn my salvation? Thank God that we don't have to do any of that. So how do we view Jesus? How do we view our sin? And the third point this morning is, how do you view salvation? Salvation, the wrong view is by doing something. I have earned this. This is my wage. God, you owe me. Look how good I am. Look at all the things that I've done for you. Look at all the places I've gone in your name. And we think that's somehow going to earn our salvation. And you can imagine this rich young ruler coming with that mentality of saying, God, you'll be lucky to have me. And Jesus changes his view by saying, it's not what you do, it's what I've done. Verses 21 and 22, and then going down to verses 26 and 27 says this, And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And verse 26 says, and this is Jesus talking to his disciples. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? If this guy with his incredible resume and his incredible goodness cannot be saved, and Jesus comes along and gives them the correct viewpoint. Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but with God but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Our view of salvation, we often look at things and go, they saved me. This week on Monday, my son Caden and I were driving along um, the highway in Perth on the Roe Highway going around. And surprisingly, as we were driving into Perth, they got traffic. And we stopped in the traffic and in front of me was a semi-trailer truck in front of me and behind me quite a ways back was another truck coming and I stopped with plenty of room between me and the truck in front of me and I'm sitting there we're waiting and talking along with my son having a good man conversation and behind me I hear boom and the truck and I look in the mirror the truck is careening towards me and of course as I tell the story in the future it's only going to get bigger but uh, uh, careening towards me behind me, and I move forward and off to the side, and the truck driver behind me, who had been hit behind him by another big truck, 
literally drove past me, just I me, mean, just missing my back um, back corner of the car, sliding off to the side and stopped to the head, and the other truck pulled in right beside me, and I was sitting there going, "That guy saved me." And that truck driver literally. He did, I don't know how he did it. He, he pulled around me and went off to the grass, just missing me. And as I drove past him, because I made sure they were okay, I said, thank you very much. You saved me. And he did. I would have been squashed. And as you look upon those sort of things, you think, oh, they saved me. And I'm grateful that I'm safe in that situation but that was just one little situation. I want and need to be saved every moment of every day, not just for today, but for all eternity. And as I close my eyes in death one day, I need to know that I will be saved and I have a correct, correct God-given view of what is salvation. Salvation is not just a once thing, a I can somehow earn this or I have to pay for it. It's simply given to us by God. It's often referred to as a free gift. And anytime I write in, my, in, in you know, Microsoft Word and I write free gift, it always comes with a little squiggly line underneath and goes, this is not good English. Because a gift by definition is already free. But I like to bring it out and say this is a free gift. Because we see in the book of Galatians, chapter number 1, the Apostle Paul is talking about this free gift. And in Galatians chapter number one, he says, The Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a gift, gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this, the present evil age, according to the will of God and Father. And verse number five is our response. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That man who nearly hit me and went off to the side, I thanked him for saving me, but I didn't go get his number and say, you know what, every day I'm going to ring this guy up and go, you know what, thank you for saving me. And in 12 months' time, I'm not going to be finding this truck driver and going, remember me 12 months ago? You saved me. Thank you for saving me. I'm going to name my children after you. But when we recognize the price that's been paid, what's been done for your salvation, we now, every moment of every day, give God glory and say, God, thank you for my salvation. We don't say, the opposite of that would say, what can I do for my salvation? That's not what God is asking. He's simply saying, because of your salvation, you're going to give me glory. We worship together on Sundays because of Jesus' salvation. Not to earn our salvation, but because we've been given a wonderful free gift and now we celebrate it together. So in many ways, today is a celebration day. Every Sunday should be a celebration day saying, thank you God for what you've done because I didn't do it and I can never do this. We need to make sure we're asking the right questions. How do you view Christ? How do you view sin? How do you view salvation? We don't need to be asking the wrong question of what must I do. We need to turn around and say, what has Jesus Christ already done? And as a result of that, we can go out with confidence and share that good news with others. 
We can go out with confidence and share that good news with our family. We can go with confidence and say, God, what do you want me to do? Not to earn our salvation, but because of our salvation. And we go and make an impact in the world around us. That passage again in Mark 10, 27. With man it is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. 